You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. They had allowed their materialistic lives to get their priorities out of kilter. They were doing well. I don't think it's wrong for me to suggest that they, it wasn't that they weren't attending church. It wasn't even that they weren't reading their Bibles. I think, you know, when you're lukewarm, you've got to be doing something. You know, you're not just cold, but they got comfortable. The church at Laodicea might sound familiar to us in the American church. Many of us are very comfortable. We love God and we love our religion. It's a part of who we are. But many of us have lost our passion for Christ. We are stuck in the routine and we rarely step outside of our comfort zones. As Pastor Danny explains in today's message, this place of complacency disgusts God. He wants more for us than mediocrity and half-heartedness. He wants us all in. Now here's Pastor Danny in Revelation chapter 3 with today's edition of The Living Word. Before we read the text this morning, I thought the best way to approach this seventh final letter to seven churches, Revelation 2 and 3, and these seven letters to these seven churches are messages for the church age. In other words, they're messages until technically the great tribulation and right after the great tribulation, Jesus comes. I don't believe the church will be here during the tribulation period. I believe in the rapture of the church. Chapter 4, verse 1, John hears a voice like a trumpet, says to him, come up here. There's a door open in heaven, and he is caught up. He is raptured. And everything he sees from that point on, he is in heaven. I believe that is one of the proof texts for the rapture of the church. Unfortunately, there's a movement in our Christian culture um, people teaching that there is really no such thing as the rapture. And with that, they're teaching that there is not a tribulation period. And with that, they're teaching there's not going to be a thousand-year reign of Christ. That is unbiblical teaching. Now, we can debate on when the rapture of the church takes place, right? But I'm not going to debate, (laughs) well, I will debate it briefly, whether there's going to be a thousand-year reign. There is going to be a thousand-year reign. It is not metaphorical. But let's finish this seventh final letter. And in doing so, let me lay out a little groundwork. And I think it'll be helpful before I read the text. Ancient Laodicea lay at the juncture of two major trade routes, one being the Roman road, trade route. And the Roman road went right through ancient Laodicea. 
And as a result, it became a prime place for trade, for commerce. It was the wealthiest of all the seven churches of Revelation 2 and 3. It was a popular place for people to move to in retirement. There were a lot of banks. became the banking center of the region. One of the products that came out of Laodicea was a rare, soft black wool, and garments made from this wool were very fashionable. And if you were able to purchase one, even if you didn't live in Laodicea, it was exported, for example, and you're wearing one, and and people would go, oh, you you got that. That's Laodicea, didn't it? Yeah. The latest fashion. There was a medical school in the city. This is interesting in light of reading the text. Medical school in the city that produced an eye salve, something quite unique in the day, and as a result, was very valuable and in much demand. Entertainment was a big deal. Uh, if you were to visit the ruins of ancient Laodicea, uh, one of the things that you would see is a, a ruins of an amphitheater that held 30,000 people. Health resorts were built just outside of Laodicea, especially to take advantage of the many hot springs. The hot springs were brought, uh, the water from these hot springs were also brought into the city of Laodicea through aqueducts. But here's an interesting note. By the time it got to the city, it wasn't hot, it was lukewarm. That's enough to read the text. Verse 14, to the angel, a messenger of the church in Laodicea, write, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Water from the hot springs of Laodicea had a lot of minerals, as hot springs do. If you drank this water, you would get an upset stomach. It would make you sick. And God is very straightforward and graphic here. And what he's saying already to this church is, because you're lukewarm, you make me nauseous. Aren't you glad you came to church for this particular message? Verse 17, you say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth. I don't need a thing. But you don't realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. And white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. And salve to put on your eyes. So you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. If you've never been rebuked by Jesus, you really should question if you really know him. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I'll give the right to sit with me. On my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I want to note a couple of things right at the forefront. This is the only church of all seven, and in all seven letters, this is the only one 
that has zero commendation. Not one word of commendation. But with that, it's interesting, it is also a message that doesn't include sins like that in Pergamum and Thyatira. He didn't rebuke them for sexual immorality. He didn't rebuke them for leaving their first love. So it's unique to leaving your first love, may be included with it, but it's unique. As a matter of fact, there's not one specific sin mentioned in this letter to the church of Laodicea. And yet it's the church that Jesus said, you make me nauseous. They're not cold, so they're not, they're not just out there, you know, away from the Lord totally. They're just not hot. They're just not on fire. They're lukewarm. And because they're lukewarm, I mean, what a list. And we, we won't spend a lot of time on it, but he says, because you're lukewarm, you're wretched. You're wretched. It's the same word Paul used in Romans chapter 7, verse 24, when he cries out, oh, Lord, what wretched man I am. What a wretched man I am. They were pitiful in God's eyes. They were poor, and yet their bank accounts weren't poor. They required wealth. They didn't have any needs. They were doing good financially, and yet they were poor spiritually. And one very interesting one, Jesus says, you're blind. But it's very clear they didn't know they were blind. You do not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind. They didn't realize it. They didn't see it. They thought they were okay. They thought everything between them and Jesus. I think this church was the most shocked of any church. I mean, the one where he's got to deal with the sexual sin, they knew they were involved in sexual sin. But here, here, this church, they, we, we, what? They didn't even realize it. I mean, they're kind of blindsided. Pun intended. You're blind. And you're naked. You're naked. They're wearing, they're wearing nice clothes. They're wearing the latest fashions. But in Jesus' eyes, they're naked. In other words, what they are in their condition spiritually is shameful. It's shameful. The heart is deceitfully wicked, Jeremiah 17 and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind. I'm so thankful <laughs> the word of God is living and active, active sharper than any double-edged sword. It divides soul and spirit, joints and marrow, judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The problem in this church, the problem in this church, it's very simple to understand. But listen, listen, they had allowed their materialistic lives to get their priorities out of kilter. They were doing well. I don't think it's wrong for me to suggest that they, it wasn't that they weren't attending church. It wasn't even that they weren't reading their Bibles. I think, you know, when you're lukewarm, you've got to be doing something. You know, you're not just cold, but they got comfortable. They got comfortable. Now, I got a couple of questions and comments with this because we don't want to misunderstand. Does this mean, this message to this church, does this mean that somebody who is materially wealthy or comfortable even uh, in their wealth, that they can't be spiritual? 
Well, of course not. Abraham was rich. King David was rich. The challenge is that when God blesses us materially, that we don't allow that material wealth and what it can buy to move us away from our more important priorities. That's the challenge. That's what happened to this church. Jesus said it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Luke 16, he said you cannot serve God and money. And the idea is things money can buy. So it is possible to be wealthy or to be comfortable financially and not get your priorities off. But (laughs) with that said, it's very easy to allow the blessings of wealth and what wealth can provide for us to get our priorities messed up. Another question I have, were these people, because some suggest these people were not even saved. I don't believe that at all. And I'm just going to say that quickly. I don't believe that at all. Even though Revelation 3.20, Revelation 3.20 has been used often and is still used evangelistically. People will use Revelation 20. I've used it. Where you're talking to someone and you know they don't know Christ and you say, Jesus is standing at the door of your heart and he's knocking. And if you will open the door, he will come in. And it's used evangelistically. And I don't think it's wrong to use it evangelistically, but in the context, my personal view is he's talking to people that have made that decision at some point in their life. He's not talking to people who need to get saved, who need to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. He's talking to people who have received Christ as Lord and Savior, but their priorities are messed up. And they've allowed things that are not evil and not wrong in themselves to cause them to be lukewarm. The lukewarm condition is directly linked to the comfort of their lives. They had time for the movies. They had time for the mall. They had time to make sure they're getting the latest fashion down. They had time for the business and the financial investments. And I don't think it's a stretch. As a matter of fact, I think it fits the church of Laodicea because they were blessed. You know, some of them had the extra home in the hills or the extra home down on the beach. And some of them, you know, were able to purchase the camper. Some of them actually had a boat. (laughs) And I know we've been here before, but here we are again. I, I love the boat that God gave me. <laughs> that's what we want to do, don't we? We, we say, oh, God gave us the camper. Uh, and that, that could be absolutely true. You know, absolutely true. But isn't it a practical challenge for all of us that when we're blessed materially, you know, you, you, the priorities, that's the challenge. That is the challenge. And here's Jesus' counsel. Buy gold refined in the fire. That's the first thing he says. In Bible days, the smelters would take the gold brought in from the mines. They'd heat it by fire until it liquefied. And when it liquefied, in time, the, the dross, as it's called, the dross, the impurities would come out because of the heat. The impurities would come to the top, and they would, they would remove the dross 
And it's interesting what he says here, buy from me, buy from me. Now, he's not talking about salvation. We know that. We don't buy salvation. By grace are we saved through faith. We know that. But he's talking about now something that will cost us. He's not talking about salvation. We can't buy salvation, but he's saying, buy from me gold refined in the fire. In other words, it's going to cost you something to get what I'm offering you. It will cost you something. You can't just have it like you got salvation. You can't just say, oh, Lord, give it to me. No, there's a cost involved in it. And then he says, buy from me white clothes. Buy from me. Just like the gold refined in the fire, this clothing would cost them something. When we get to Revelation chapter 19, verse 8, and you see the saints in heaven, and they're clothed with white linen. And it says there, the white linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. The righteous acts. They did something. And if you're going to get these white clothes that they did not presently have, just like the gold, it would cost them something. It wouldn't just come. It wouldn't just come by Bible reading. It wouldn't just come by prayer. It'll cost you something. There's a sacrifice involved. Thirdly, he says, buy salve for your eyes. And that was especially pointed for a Laodicean Christian because of the salve that became uh, well-known and in demand that would help people physically, physically, help their eyes physically. And they needed help spiritually, spiritually. They were blind. They didn't see. They didn't realize that their priorities had gotten out of kilter. I mean, they, hadn't, they haven't denied Jesus. They haven't stopped uh, doing Christian things. But they became blind to how they had gotten away from the real fellowship and away from the real priorities of Christianity. And Jesus' exhortation after his counsel is, so be earnest. The idea is do something. Repent. And before I spend the last few minutes outlining what repentance would look like for these Laodicean Christians, let me point out that the reward for repentance is better than anything money can buy. So wonderful that Paul the Apostle writes in Philippians chapter 3, and he says, whatever was to my profit. And he's talking in everything in life. He's talking everything about my former life. Everything was to my profit. I now consider a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I want to know the power of his resurrection, but also the fellowship. The fellowship. There is nothing like coming close to Jesus. I mean, just you, there's no drug. I've done a lot of drugs. I've done good drugs. Not recently, thank the Lord. <laughs> not in many years. But there's nothing like being high on Jesus. There's just nothing like it. And the extra house in the mountains or on the beach and the camper and no, you know, Mexican getaway and nothing. As much as those things may be enjoyable, they don't, they don't compare with fellowship with Jesus. The greatest thing of heaven are not streets of gold. The greatest thing about heaven is we're going to fellowship with Jesus. 
and with the Father like we never have before, and it's never going to end. If you'll repent, he says, if you'll repent, if you'll follow my counsel and you'll repent, and it's going to involve sacrifice. That's clear from the counsel. It's going to involve sacrifice. Not just going to happen. A fool, someone said, is, is someone who keeps doing the same things, expecting different results. Let me say that again. Someone said a fool is someone who keeps doing the same things, expecting different results. Unless we hear this and really hear it with our hearts and do something different, it won't make any difference. So what would repentance look like? Well, I'm going to give you what I came up with, four things, and then we're going to close. Four things that I believe repentance would look like for a Laodicean Christian, someone who's lukewarm. They're not hot. They're not cold. They're lukewarm. Number one, I believe the Laodicean Christian would need to give more of their material wealth for kingdom purposes. I heard a statement recently. I forget where I heard it. In the last couple of weeks, I forget where I heard it, but it just pops into my mind. Someone said, if you get to a point in life, you feel like you need to give back, you probably took too much along the way. I think Laodicean Christian, because now they, they, they got out of kilter because of their blessing materially, now they need to take some of the material blessing and reprioritize. It doesn't mean necessarily that you sell the camper. That's between you and the Lord, me and the Lord, the boat, whatever it is. That's between us and the Lord. But if the material blessing is what is taking your time now and got your priorities off, then maybe just reprioritizing with your finances. And it's interesting. I thought of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 12 where the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. And I wrote down this statement. The true value of an offering is not measured by how much we give. It's measured by how much we keep. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And if the treasure increases materially, maybe God's saying, well, make sure you keep that in line with investing in kingdom purpose. Otherwise, your heart becomes attached more over here where more is left. Maybe you need to keep that thing even. And as you get blessed materially this way, then give more for kingdom purposes. To help keep your heart right and your priorities straight. And I'll just read before I go to the second point where it says exactly that. First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17. And it's interesting how this is given to us. It's not a think about. It's not a I encourage you to. Here's what it says. This is God's word through the apostle Paul. Chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, verse 17. Command. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So having the things is not wrong. It's only when the things have us. 
As you continue to study the book of Revelation, you'll see destruction and death, but also the incredible future that awaits you if you're a follower of Jesus. The pictures painted of the throne room of heaven are inspiring and exciting, and you will one day get to stand where John stood. You'll meet the Lamb of God, who took away your sins. You'll rejoice with the angels and spend eternity getting to know your Creator as He always intended, in perfect love. This is something to cling to as you move through the difficulties of life. Knowing that you have a new home waiting in heaven can also be the catalyst to move you to share the good news of grace with others. They can also have a chance to live eternally with Jesus, and they might just be waiting for someone to introduce them. We hope today's message on the Living Word has been a blessing to you, and we'd like to tell you how you can access more teachings from Pastor Danny. All you need to do is visit our website, ccfstpete.church. Click on Sermons to be directed to our YouTube channel. And don't forget to subscribe. That way, you'll never miss a new edition of The Living Word. Are you listening in the St. Petersburg area right now? If so, we have a special invitation for you. Pastor Danny and all of us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship would love to have you join us for our weekend services. Find out more and get directions at ccfstpete.church. Once more, that website is ccfstpete.church. Thanks for tuning in today, and we hope you'll join us again right here on The Living Word.